0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Well, good evening, everybody. It's Sunday, and it is, oh, my goodness, it's April 18th. Well, do you know that in, in the Northeast, over the last couple of days, there was some major snowfall in certain areas. Oh, major, I don't know. It's all relative. But in April, yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. Fresh, crisp air. April snow brings me flowers. I'm Tanya Hathaway, and I am your host. With Tanya Talk, where your voice is heard and your story is told, on Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network and Stephen Burks, eighty-nine point nine KLRB Lighthouse Christian Radio. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, it's a very, very important night. Of course, you've heard me say that before, because all nights are actually important when we're sharing uh, relevant information that we all need to know about, because we just never know. When it could be us. But does it have to be us for us to care, right? Obviously, it doesn't because you're listening right now. So I'm glad we've got your attention, glad we've got your ear. I'm sorry um, that you've gone through what you've gone through or somebody else is that you care about. Because guess what? This stuff is so, so, so so painful. It is so so painful. We're talking tonight about the Lawton 4 as uh, a great example and a travesty, what has happened to the Lawton 4 in Comanche County, Oklahoma. Now, we know that there's all throughout Oklahoma, not everybody engages in this, okay? Not every single prosecutor, blah, 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 that whole thing, that's a disclosure, okay? This is about the ones that do wrong. The ones that do wrong and um, and aren't interested in fixing it when they know that they've done wrong, and far too often they're doing wrong and they already know it. Um, so the Lawton Four is in Comanche County, Oklahoma. We've got Mark West, we've got Jorge Bravo, we've got Stanley Watson, and we've got Michael Gaines, and they all have something in common. Even though things they were not involved in the same case. How they got to where they are now is very similar with each other. Uh, I want to say hi to my mom first, uh, mom in New Hampshire. Hi, mom, thanks for listening. Love you. So good to see you on Easter. So thanks for listening and being supportive. Um, I was speaking with um, a woman A mother, it's not just a mother who can have these feelings, but I was speaking with a woman not too, uh, well, earlier today. And we're just talking about uh, a matter that involves, you know, her child, 17 years old. And it, it just dawned on me, and I already know this because I know the case is you know, well enough, certainly, to have shared them uh, on here. We finally have them all together, Um, although uh, the Hey Bravo case uh, is is something that I've relied on uh, Melissa Hurry uh, for. uh, She knows it inside and out. And I also have Jennifer Watson on with me, and I also have Bridget uh, on with me. And I don't know, Bridget, if you'd like me to share your last name, but I'm not going to unless you do. But I want to say what I'm getting at is that all the men in the Lawton 4, you know, they're grown men now. 20, 30 years, some of them, I believe. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. I don't have it all my notes right in front of me. But they all have a mother. That's all their child child, ripped from them. You know, the brain is not fully developed until 25 years old. The mothers and others that care, love, fathers, I don't know who's in the picture, who isn't, um, fearful because a common ground here is trickery, is coercion, all these men in the lot in four were kids, just like the woman that I was speaking with earlier today, just crumbling. How but crumbling, so much pain, talking about her child that isn't even a, a legal adult right now being in birth. And the coercion literally, genuinely, fits the definition of coercion, legal abuse. Well, I'm not going to this unless you tell me what I want to hear. Or how about, listen, you just go in there for a couple of years and I'll come out and I'll get you. They're men right now. They are decades older, decades older, got one man out of the lot in four, Michael Gaines, who refused to admit, I've got quotes around that, his guilt. And boy, has he paid the price because he didn't fall in line. But guess what? The other three are paying the price too. So what's the difference? They fell in line. They believed what they were told. They were coerced. Parents were told, you know, and they were told that, that uh, you could get the death penalty. You, you know, you're going you know, to get the death penalty. They sent somebody from uh, death row to scare the dickens out of a kid. So really, that that charge, whether it's incorrect or correct, and they're incorrect, by the way, has nothing to do with if it was a true charge, if it was true guilt, still would not warrant that charge that would warrant a death penalty. This is crushing. It's absolutely crushing. And this is happening every day, folks. It's happening every day. And everybody comes out of it differently. But we need to pay attention to each case individually. We need to stand up strong and discuss reform, second chances. We need to uphold the Constitution, the laws that are put in place, so that none of this stuff would happen, so that you don't have an attorney coercing you, lying to you, literally lying lying to you lying to you because this is what the prosecutor and the judge have decided this is what's going to happen today okay and this is not okay it's happening throughout our country oklahoma has got so we need to be very careful how we go forward with this we need to make sure that we are building Allies and not enemies, it doesn't mean we're not afraid to call people out. But we need to be very strong with our voice, try not to be emotional. That's so hard. But it is the facts that do the best for us. And the more people that will talk about this, that will stand by this, numbers speak. With that being said, uh, I want to welcome uh, Melissa Hurry. Thank you. Melissa, can you uh, just share a little bit about yourself?
2: Hi, Tanya. Thank you. My, uh, my name is Melissa Hurry, for those that don't already know me. And I am, I, I am in the state of Connecticut. I have been in the legal field for uh, 23 years now. I currently uh, work at the Office of State Ethics at, at the Capitol in Hartford, Connecticut. Before that, I, did, I worked for 17 years at a private law firm and also in Connecticut. We practiced criminal and family law. And right now, I'm finishing up my master's in criminal justice at Central Connecticut State University. So along the way, I've become interested in excessive sentences and wrongful convictions. It's a problem in our system. It started with me recognizing the number of cases that are plea bargains, and it just kind of snowballed from there. And so I try to advocate for individuals that have been injustice by the system.
1: Thank you very much. And 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 Bridget, would you like to um would you like to introduce yourself uh, however you would like to? And uh and just uh, let us know. Let let our listeners know uh what you're involved in and what brings you uh, here and anything else you'd like.
3: Okay. Well my name is Bridget and I am an advocate for Michael Gaines as well as the other gentlemen, um, in hopes of us getting some kind of justice for all four of them in their cases.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, you know, you 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 know details, you know many details about these matters. I'm correct. There's similarities,
3: yes, in in their cases. Um, things that are very concerning, um, if you were to hear it, I do believe. Um that's very interesting
1: for the four of them. And that's what brings us here today. Okay. Absolutely. And we have Jennifer Watson. So Jennifer, would you like to introduce yourself and uh and then we'll we'll start on uh on the case that you are advocating for along with the others too. Stanley Watson.
0: Yes, um, you okay? And I'm um, Stanley Watson's wife And I'm um, just part of the lot Trying to help with everybody Getting out and everything um, Part of the law school
1: Okay You alright? I'm okay Okay these are, these are tough, tough subjects Okay, so um, we're going to start out and we're going to we, uh, last week we uh, spoke about Michael Gaines case uh, and the link for last week's show is actually shared with the um with the promotion. Uh, you'll also find on Injustice in Oklahoma Exposed that I will share you know these links okay. uh, if you're listening live you have stream to be right quiet. Now, what are you doing in there? the archive. I'm sorry. You better stop. Hi, Marty. I hear you. <laughs> I'm okay. so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. no. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> innocence. Oh my gosh, innocence. Okay. Um, do you, uh, Do we have somebody on already? Did I hear a bell? No. You've got uh, uh, Melissa, Bridget, and Jennifer on with you. Okay. All right, so I am going to start out by reading a petition that has been put out, and it's on behalf of Stanley Watson, Jennifer Watson, who is with us now, her husband. Okay? I'm going to read this, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Now, um, how long ago was it that the Innocence Project uh, Jennifer has
0: taken on his case? They actually called me um, a few months ago. A few months ago. They actually ago. took it on in 2009. Okay, but it, but it took this long. Yes, ma'am, but it took this
1: long. Yes, ma'am. I mean, what did it feel like when you heard from the Innocence Project? Because they do such a good job. And it's kind of like <laughs> when you go to a really good doctor, it's like you want them to take their time, even if you're waiting around kind of like you got to deal with it because when you're in there, you want the best of that doctor, right? Mm-hmm. But um what did that feel like when you finally when your number came up and
0: when his number number came up? When his number came up when they actually called I was surprised. It was it was out of nowhere and I didn't know who she was at first and she started telling me and it was I was excited. I just knew she was on my husband's face and he was gonna be getting home, coming home soon, but we're still waiting. Okay. okay.
1: But it's there. It's it's, it's now mm-hmm. existing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So bear with me because what I'm going to do is um, I've got this on my computer, but I have it set up in different pages. So I'm going to start reading this. There will be a brief pause as I move uh, to different pages. Okay. So this petition is on behalf of Stanley Watson. Okay. On September 24th uh, through 25th, 2000, year 2000. At the age of seventeen, Mr. Stanley Watson was charged and later sentenced to life with parole for a crime of which he didn't commit. Seeing that victim, Austin Austin Hatcher is the victim, was a young was a young white male. So the implication here is uh sadly Uh, It does exist, and in Comanche County, we do have other colors that are wrongfully convicted as well, but it is largely outnumbered by the African-American race, okay? So we cannot deny that because those numbers are supported. Um, Okay, the investigation and all procedures the county sheriff's department and investigators took along with the district attorney's office, Were totally racist and prejudicial Stanley never stood a chance at a fair trial the witnesses Alonzo Horn that they were in a lot of were in a lot of words they were being forced to testify to a lie because the district attorney had threatened them that they had not testified to what they wanted then the witnesses uh, were going to be tried with the murder this took place on the stand, and the jury, the jury heard it. The jury heard it. However, still, Mr. Watson was convicted, and his name was now. I'm going to switch to the next uh, page. So bear with me. This is very important because this summarizes uh, the case, and and the number one key. To remember there is if there is a claim of innocence right and we understand this to be innocent there's not anything that can prove There's no DNA there's no there's no smoking gun there's and so much so much more but yet this is what the district attorney wanted to happen okay they had hundreds of other witnesses to talk to the judge granted it to him to the prosecutor, okay? The judge granted this to the prosecutor. This entire case was filled with racism and prejudice. All they knew was a white young man uh, was dead. And they were going to convict someone for it. That someone was Mr. Watson. And with the fear they placed into his friends, who were also very young, none of them stood a chance against the system you hear that none of them stood a chance against the system now moving to the next page bear with me it slow I'm doing it on my computer thank you for your patience I'm sorry I know it's not good to have that uh, idle time but here we go um Okay, I hope I'm doing this in order. Uh, Mr. Watson asked, "What was going on?" Gutridge informed Stanley. Who is Gutridge? Jennifer.
0: Um, the I believe the, the lawyer. Public defender. Mhm. Public okay. defender, Sorry. Yes.
1: Okay. No, thank you. Guthridge, I just want others to know. Uh, Gutridge was in, informed Stanley that he was about to go to trial and none of his family were going to be able to attend. Hmm. Why is that? Okay, uh, none of his family were going to be able to attend. He called it a special jury. When Mr. Watson grew even more weary, the lawyer told him that I'm ordering his family to be able to come to his trial. He, Stanley Watson, was going to have to go into the judge's chambers and tell him they needed an extension of time because they weren't ready or prepared. Huh? Time. At this, all this was a game to help keep, to help the state place fear in Mr. Watson, a young black kid who was ignorant to the law and life. Once Mr. Watson denied to ask for the extension and told the judge DA, and his lawyer, he was ready for the trial. This took them by shock. Huh. The judge quickly took it off the record and again tried to convince Mr. Watson to ask when he didn't budge, the DA himself asked for one stating that he, uh, Jennifer, while I'm pulling this back up, extends the trial, right? So he went Mm -hmm. on the record, he went on the record saying that he did not want an extension,
0: correct? Yes, and they, yet um, we didn't want him. To, they didn't give Stan a chance to get up on the stage and you know present himself, or you know tell anything that he wanted to tell or any give any information as far as the case went.
1: Yeah, so so the, the public okay. defender didn't allow him
0: uh, to bring forth
1: his information.
2: Okay, I, I believe. believe
1: I believe that is uh, I think I read the last part of it. Uh, I, I think I read it out of order, but again, it's that someone was Mr. Watson. And with fear, with the fear they place into his friends, who are also very young, none of them stood a chance against the system. So it is instilling the fear that one of you is going to the death penalty or going uh, to prison for life. Um, you, you know, or you know, and if it's if it's not them, it's going to be you. So it's whoever chirped first. Chirp lies. Whoever was willing to be coerced. Is that pretty transparent, or
0: Jennifer? Oh yes, ma'am. Okay. Right on, pretty much, just now. so okay,
1: so um and now uh melissa and 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 bridget, you can feel feel free to you know chime in here, so you know, let's talk about i know we have to be careful because you know we have to not get into certain details because we want to make sure that there's no error in details whatsoever um but as far as what he was charged with, can you share with our listeners what he was charged with?
0: He was charged with first-degree murder. I'm sorry?
1: First-degree murder. Okay. First-degree murder. Life without parole. Life without parole, yes, ma'am. Life without parole. First-degree murder. He's innocent. Is there any DNA that you're aware of? There was no DNA. No DNA. Uh, were there any witnesses uh, to, uh, as far as putting Stanley Watson in this sector, place? You
0: know, nobody could actually put him there. They just they knew he was out there at the party, but they cannot say that he's actually the one that did it. Okay. And and this isn't coming from the
1: standpoint of well, if you can't prove it, that I'm not guilty. The, the fact is, he's not guilty. So we know that public defenders do get people that are guilty and try to give the best deal for them. That's if you're a good, you know, legitimate public defender, right? You know, and a lot of people don't really like really good, legitimate public defenders. But in this case, you know, you've got a man, your husband, who is um, not guilty, and yet the uh, public defender isn't even trying to act on his behalf, and instead he's having, uh, uh, likely he's having... um, exculpatory uh, evidence uh, withheld, as you shared. You know, your other, these other people were not allowed to testify. He wasn't allowed to testify on his behalf. So that is his defense. He is being yeah. denied exculpatory evidence. He's being denied that. They said no. They took it off the record that he was ready to go and he wanted to speak. They took that off the record. I mean, these are high crimes, people. High crimes. Not by Stanley. Not by Stanley. These are high crimes. of Those that are either appointed or elected into office, whether it's a judgeship, prosecutor, public defender, they're all getting paid from the same pocketbook, people. Think about that. Think about that. Let's move this along. Let's move this along. Um, And... There's more reasons than that for it. Okay, so um how so he can't really go up for a commutation when he's got life without parole. So what has he tried to he do? Has, I
0: mean He has the with parole. He has and he did try to go yes, we did try to do the commutation thing um last year and he got denied.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And do they,
1: um, when he got denied, was that the first time? Yes. Three. Mm-hmm. Three. How old is your husband now,
0: if you don't mind me asking? Thirty-eight. And actually he has tried, oh, he's tried three, that was actually his third time, and that was the first time since we've been married. Uh, and as far as i trying for some Okay. And
1: how old is Stanley now? Thirty-eight he's 38 so he is charged at 17 27 Mm -hmm. 37 38 21 years and has there been an attempt for a new trial I imagine there has an attempt for a new trial was there ever an attempt made for a new trial yeah. Appeal. Because he actually took a deal, right? Yeah, and they denied it. Right. So when you when you when there's a plea bargain and you take a deal, then you're also taking an appeal off of the table unless you can prove coercion. Supposedly unless you can prove coercion or, you know, ab- under duress. 17-year-old, you know, facing life without parole, eh? uh, you know, or the death penalty even. Um. <laughs>
2: can I ask a quick question? Do, this is, is Melissa. Do you mind if I jump in for a quick second? Go ahead. Unclear, I am unclear about something. I wanted to ask Jennifer. Was Stanley um, convicted at trial or did he plead? I thought he was convicted at trial.
0: Yeah, he didn't okay. get no deal. There was no deal. No, no deal. deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And, and so, she yeah, matters. because
2: th- with the Innocence Project having taken his case, it seems to me that there's some items in, that were involved in Stanley's case where some DNA could come into play that they never truly tested. So that's why I wanted to ask mm-hmm. that because with the yeah, Innocence Project taking his yeah, okay. Yeah, so okay, so, he's he's so we here. have
1: – so he denied – he denied his guilt from the very beginning, just like Michael Gaines did. Is that correct? He stands by his innocence.
3: Yeah, he did maintain his innocence the whole time, and he still does stand by that. But he did not
1: have anything to do with that crime that happened that night. Uh, I understand. No, I mean, I understand because we had a couple shows specifically about uh, Stanley Watson, and if anybody wants... Um, To listen to those shows, Um, please uh, definitely feel free to uh, uh, message me uh, from the Facebook page Injustice in Oklahoma Exposed. Um, I'll I'll, I'll find them and I'll put them up there too, the individual shows. But right now, you know, the purpose of uh, last week's show and and this week's and whatever it's going to take is to tie things in together. So we have two men that... um, they were young men, they were kids, that they um, said, no, I am not taking a plea deal because I didn't do it. And you're not going to scare me to death. I'm, I'm innocent. And believed in the system, believed that if they're innocent, that there's no way they can be convicted. Isn't that the way it's supposed to go? You know, <laughs> access to justice, isn't that what it says? On the, uh, you know, when you walk into a court, access to justice right on the walls? I don't know, it depends on what your court you're going in, I guess, or what county. Okay, so uh, the other two matters with Jorge Bravo and with uh Mark West, they took plea deals, is that correct?
0: Yes.
2: Um Jorge was was convicted pleading out to manslaughter in 20 years but ended up with, with a life sentence instead. And he was, right, yeah, he, was not of, he was not represented by a public defender. He had private counsel. We know who that right. is. Ken
1: Sue okay, and we're gonna and she ties in Ken Sue Uh she's a cough cough lawyer in um in, in uh, Lawton, Oklahoma that I knew about even before I knew about these um the Lawton 4 matters. Knew about Ken Sue several years ago, um, for being the most obnoxious in my opinion, corrupt from what I've seen and what I keep on hearing. Um, It's like she is a nightmare. She's an absolute nightmare, whether she is representing you in many instances or if you're on the other side, we'll have to get into that more. Okay, so at this point, um, can you just tell very briefly, okay, because this is now about getting your husband out of behind bars because these men at this point, you know, they're being held hostage, essentially. They're, they're hostage to a criminal racket, if you ask me. This is a criminal racket, and they're victims of a criminal racket um, that have them behind bars, and we talked about Joyce Gilchrist. We talked about Bob Macy last week, too. Uh, That was for uh, Daryl Wiggins. Um, Now, Joyce Gilchrist and Bob Macy, they're not involved in these cases at all, right? But they're notorious in Oklahoma. They're both dead, and they're notorious. All you have to do is look up their names, and you're going to find out just how many people they they, uh, sent away for life that um uh, after they died, so they're, so they their legend is you know one of the most dangerous uh, regarding Bob Macy, prosecutors in, in in the world or at least in our country, and we have to remember that in Oklahoma there's more inmates in Oklahoma than any state per capita, okay, and for women for women there's more inmates per capita in Oklahoma in the whole wide world. Wow. What does that say? It, does, it, it makes you think that Oklahoma must be a terrible place to live, but the fact is it's a terrible place to be at the wrong time and if you're in Comanche County it's a terrible place to be black. <clears throat> so we need to make what's wrong right. Um, at this point, where where is uh, your husband at? I know that, you know, you start out in, at one facility and you tend to get moved around. When was the last time you were able to see him and you wish to say where he's at, um, how he's coping, and, you know, what has he done um, to, you know, get
0: through all this? He's a... Um, I haven't seen him in a year. Because of the COVID? Because of the COVID. And what else? Um, what else? What's the question? Has
1: he taken any classes? Has he done things that can help him with his time? And, you know, just to... You know, I know that's limited, especially over this past year. But um, sometimes there's different uh, prisons that are offering different classes. Lord knows we need to um, we need to reform rehabilitation because the recidivism rate is ridiculously high. It's about it's in its eighties, I believe. And and there's you know a total lack of being treated as a human being um quite often, uh, not to mention uh, you know, what how do you, you know
0: I I, I Well I have took several different classes. He has got his G D while he was in there. He has over um over fifty certificates um from different classes he took. Mm-hmm. He just stays busy. He's he does it all. I mean,
2: he does what he can in there, what he's able to do in there. I understand.
1: How are you holding up? It's got to be very difficult for you. It's very hard. Uh, it, it takes a lot to come on and talk about it. So I really appreciate you being here to share your story with, about Stanley Watson, and as well as to you know join forces uh, with the, the lawsuit.
0: <laughs> I want you to know, too, that he teaches a lot of classes and he's an encourager, too, in there. He he what? He's an um, encourager and he teaches classes, too. He teaches a few classes as well. So, yeah.
1: So he's become a bit of a mentor. So he's educated himself and now he's in a position where he can
0: Mm -hmm. help others, yes, ma'am.
1: That's it takes a lot to be able to pull yourself out of such a horrific situation again listeners innocent innocent okay innocent innocent behind bars for 21 years innocent
0: this innocent.
2: is melissa again can i ask jennifer a question i was please mm-hmm. okay so I know that I'm, I'm here again on the Innocence Project because it's very interesting, I think, that they have taken a case. Jennifer, do you know, is this because of the, the? I mean, from what I can understand, there was no DNA on any of Stanley's clothes, his shoes, nothing. There was nothing she that was, was tying nothing. him. Well, there all was,
0: stuff was in and nothing came back with no DNA not no blood, no DNA
2: trace, No blood, no anything. And this was a stabbing. what they had was so, witness
1: course, witness, witness statements.
2: Correct? Yes, and that's what that's another thing I wanted to bring up because they they bullied and they threatened witnesses as far as I can tell, which is which is a common yeah. denominator in these cases. Let's say that because this is common in all of these cases, and they they take young people, or you know, even not young people, but people who have crimes or situations that might get them in some trouble and they use those people and they intimidate those people to say what they want them to say and this happens mm-hmm. all over and it's not in the in just these four cases but it is common in all these four cases that's what is mm-hmm. should be so eye-opening about these cases these are and, and most of them are young individuals i mean in stanley's case they, they were all young individuals did they not threaten a young girl was taking her her first child if she didn't testify yeah. against family. Yeah. And then and they also, for-
0: myself and her, you know, I had, um, my son was one at the time that this happened and yes. they had, I worked up there at the courthouse and they brought me down there and they, like I said, they told me they were going to take my son away from me and they did the same thing to her. They told her that they would take her baby and she wouldn't be able to see her baby again until you know she was twenty-one. Until you know, so if if you yep. didn't if you didn't what like if I didn't change my story that they were gonna that they were gonna take my son away. <sighs> yes.
1: So let's talk about uh, uh, Melissa. What and and to you, what mm-hmm. is that? I mean, we know that there's a lot of discretion. Um, that uh, prosecutor investigators do have, um, but when it comes to, you know, the bullying, uh, well, I guess they can bully, okay, Mm -hmm. but uh, how long was he being, do you you have any idea how long he was being uh, interviewed for? Did they let him know that he had the right to an Mm -hmm. attorney? This is something that everybody also needs to know Mm -hmm. out there, okay? If you have children or just for your own, you know, for your own safety and well-being, you do not have to answer questions. You can say no. I, 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 I You know, you can say no. I'm, I, reserve, I reserve my right not to talk, okay? You can do mm-hmm. that. And they might try to make you feel different, but it's really important that everybody out there knows you don't have to talk because they will try to beat you down, beat you down, beat you down, and, you know, and, and make you go crazy. I, yes, I mean, that, Go ahead. Because they,
2: because they don't only intimidate, they lie. They outright lie, they lie to people who don't know what their legal rights are. And so if you don't know the law and you don't know your rights and, and you're that young, you, there's not too many people who do that or that young, you are intimidated through their lies I just read an article in the New York Times today about lying to, to individuals to, to, to get them to, to say what you want. And this is how wrongful, this is how coerced confessions happen. This is how wrongful convictions happen. And it happens yeah. a lot with these young offenders. Make no mistake, these men were all 20 or under when this hap- when this, when these, all these individual cases happened. They, I, I uh-huh. think Jorge Bravo was the oldest, and I want to say at 20 years old, Michael Gaines was just 18. Stanley Watson was 17 when this crime mm-hmm. happened. Mark West, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how old Mark was, but they were all young men. 18 yeah, old as well. Mark was 18 as well, okay. So we're talking about 20 and under. Kids. Kids. And, Kids. Absolutely. I've got, I've
0: got a son
2: absolutely. that's 20, I've
1: got another one that's 22. I can't even, you know, I just, my heart breaks. My heart breaks for anybody
2: who... Is it... Is there were other commonalities that happened. I mean, there, Jorge Bravo's case is, is an interesting one because originally, um, his he was he ended up being convicted of um, I believe it was first degree murder. But at, at first, there was an offer on on the table, where the charge actually was conspiracy to commit robbery with a dangerous weapon. So what do they do? They go seek out the man who owned the gun that was used in the robbery, and he had a charge hanging over his head, I believe it was a statutory rape charge, now all of a sudden they have him and the driver of the car who can point the finger at Jorge. So there goes that, and now, now it's a murder charge because now we, have, now we have our witnesses who will go along with our story, and now we're going to charge you with first-degree murder.
1: I think well, the exactly. issue with this I and snitchers, snitches. It's, uh, it's like all it is is
2: basically bribery, and yet it happens sure all is. the time. It really is. They they take in Michael Gaines's case, the, the two co-defendants. How is it that that um, Michael Gaines is in is in prison life life without parole, but the other two who masterminded the whole robbery are out? But there is another commonality there too, because I believe one of them was also represented by Kinsu. So that's correct, right, Bridget? That is correct. Yeah. But that's
3: also a commonality with Stanley because Kinsu also represented his co defendant. Uh huh. that was
2: and, was that
3: Yeah, and that's the yeah. whole. That's a good point. I mean, Michael literally was never a suspect in this case until his co defendant had to point the finger at someone yep. to get the monkey off his own back.
2: That was the only way that could happen. Mm-hmm. And Mark West was represented by Ken Sue who told him that he was getting charged with manslaughter and that he would get 20 years and she would be back to get him in a few years. He ended up with a a life sentence and there he still sits. Needless to say, she never went back to get him. So she was involved in three out of these four cases.
1: And I I know somebody else who did that to as well. Oh, yeah, uh, there's
2: other cases. It, oh yeah, I'm oh yeah. Sure. So you know, if you sure. take a look
1: at her docket, and I and I think to myself, just how awful I feel for and those that either she defends or doesn't defend. Because even those that she defends, in certain cases, if there's if there's nobody to to, to put it on to nail it to,
2: yeah, yeah. there's to nail
1: there. you, and that's the case with Mark yep. West.
2: Mark West, there was nobody else to point the finger at. So There was nobody um, else. So she's
1: essentially in bed, you know, in my opinion, with the prosecutor and, and, and the public defender. They're all just like, you know, having breakfast, talking about this is what's going to happen.
2: Let's move this along quick. You know, coerced have, concessions result in wrongful convictions, but they also coerce people into pleading out to, to, to things that they didn't do by intimidation. So it's not any, that's not any better. Right. That, no, exactly.
1: And, and, you know, and they've got parents or loved ones that are caring for them when they're, they're so young, right, that, you know, are put in a position where they're trying to make decisions, trying to help their son. And, you know, as soon as a parent hears death row,
2: Oh yeah, the death don't penalty. Don't that
1: parent's going to say, "Okay, okay, life without parole. Okay, not death row. God, no, not 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 death row. I'll take life without parole. Okay, okay. Just don't don't you dare kill my son,
2: right? Yeah, that would be a, that would be a common reaction for any parent. That would be a common reaction okay. for any defendant. And the ones yes. that say, "No, I didn't do it. No, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take this to trial. No, I didn't do it." I mean, I know we're not talking about Julius's, Julius Jones' case right now, but Julius Jones was convicted at trial of the death penalty. He was innocent. There's plenty of evidence that that proves that Julius Jones is innocent, and he's been sitting in jail for 21 years with, yeah. convicted as a death penalty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Absolutely. It's not. It's, it is not restricted to any one county. This is... This is happening all oh, over oh, Oklahoma. Yes. Oh, Oklahoma is not the only state, but it's glaring, and in these, in these, in the commonalities in these cases is, is glaring, and it should be of concern because this is how the system operates, and it and takes the, young the people like this. Take, this, is, oh, this, yeah. this
1: is a pipeline of money. This is a pipeline of money. There's no rehabilitation going on. Therefore, the recidivism rate is is in its 80s, uh, but if yet if they have the proper rehabilitation, it's proven it is proven, you know, just like, even though these men are innocent, okay, or one is innocent in, in, uh, from being char- wrongfully charged, okay, so there was some guilt there, but he was charged wrongfully. Um, so uh, that's the one out of the four, uh, but he should be out for one.
3: Tony, are you talking about Mark? Because I I, and I think Melissa will agree with me. I don't think it's fair to say that Mark is really guilty of um, Man, slaughter, or murder?
1: Because we really
2: don't.
1: No, exactly. Don't That's
2: why I'm saying he was wrongfully charged. Oh. exactly. Oh yeah. There's yes. There's there's more to Mark's case too. Um, the, because what's, it, what is interesting about Mark's case is the the um, the alleged victim that I mean the person who died. Somebody died, but they didn't die right away. They didn't die two weeks later. And as far as I know, like two from weeks later, speaking, I think it was right. With yeah, t- somewhere like two to three weeks later, it was just before the time the time period would expire where he couldn't be charged. But who? How do we know how this how this man passed away? Did, what was it directly from injuries that were due to this incident? When I spoke with they got Mark into West,
1: a man fight on their yard. They got into a man absolutely. fight. Absolutely,
2: but um, <laughs> that's and, what that and, was. And I the mean, the man I'm, was alive. Yeah, it really matters what that. um but, the, what the coroner's report said who knows Mark didn't know when I spoke with him I don't believe it's a report that Mark has ever seen so how do we know how he died what was the cause what was the manner what was the mechanism those are things that matter and and that those are things that definitely should come up in any kind of an investigation but he was again represented by Ken who said he was going to take a manslaughter charge and she'd have him out in a few years that is certainly not the case. That is not what happened. Well, and, and, of course,
1: you know, let's, let's uh, also keep in mind with, with uh, the Michael Gaines situation. You, you know, he um, – oh, goodness, I lost my train of thought, but it was in correlation to what you were saying. But, uh, yeah, he, he was uh, – once again, he was uh, – you know, he agreed that he shouldn't have been where he was, but he never laid his hands. On anybody,
2: never leading to anybody. And that that is an awful thought to think that somebody could be sentenced to death, or or sentenced to life without parole, or even life with parole. Because let's face it, many times life without parole is life without parole. Because how effective? Or life with parole is,
1: is, is life without parole.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I mean, all of these. Michael Gaines was just 18 years old. Michael Gaines was under the influence and didn't even know it. And these cases, I mean, you there have been up. cases in the Supreme Court that have told us that people under the age of 25 do not have the, co- the cognitive ability to be culpable. So they, their brains are not developed enough, even, even those who did commit crimes. But so now what I want to get at is if these young individuals are being intimidated, it also goes hand-in-hand hand with that because they're going to say, oh, I did this, because, because you're threatening them with a death penalty. And so it's the same thing. They don't have the cognitive ability to be able to say, hey, I didn't do this. I want to take this to trial. They're intimidated. And and so there's cases that have gone to the Supreme Court that have changed things. Roper versus Simmons, you can't execute a juvenile. Um, Graham versus Florida, any, any convicted of a non-homicide offense can't be sentenced to life without parole. Uh, Miller versus Alabama, Montgomery versus Louisiana. Um, uh-huh. Children, anybody, any child must have a meaningful opportunity for release, even in homicide cases. except in uh-huh. the court quoted in the rarest cases where somebody can't be rehabilitated. I, that's question right. for me. But but these right. are all cases Understand. that say we can't do this. And so now there's plenty of research that shows that it's not only 18 and under, it's, it's 25 and under. And right. that age thing, you can't drink until you're 21 in most states. You can't even rent a car until you're 25. Why? Because they know that your decision-making under the age of 25 is not an adult frame of mind. You, you're reckless. You succumb to peer pressure. You're, you make rash decisions. And this is why they need to revisit these types of sentences, even for people who did commit the crimes. They need to revisit mm-hmm. these life without parole sentences that they give to these young individuals. But well, and, in these cases, they use their your, age. Your
1: public defender, your public defender, mm-hmm. you're supposed to believe what they're saying,
2: right? Well,
1: you're supposed let's to go believe there. what they're
2: saying. I know. I know many good. I, I say it all the time. I know many good public defenders that represent their clients uh, uh, the way they yeah, should be know, represented. But that.
1: my disclosure is this doesn't. But, mean but I always say that.
2: Exactly. I always say that because I don't yeah. want to say that every public defender is bad. But in these cases. They sold their, all their clients out, every one of them, because they worked with the prosecutor and the judge. And make no mistake, they work together all the time. So I've seen instances, I was around a criminal courtroom for 17 years. You see instances where a defense attorney or a public defender will say, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll give you some years in this case, but in this other case, you've got to give me a break. So they're selling one client out to get a break for another client. These, things, these kind of things happen all the time and I like to call it the well-oiled machine because in many cases there are many public defenders who only want to appease the prosecutor and the judge to keep things mm-hmm. going smoothly, and who suffers from that? The they're, they're, who,
1: they're in the same party every day, let's face it. They're, you know, uh, smooth it up with the clerks, you know, uh, you know, get my stuff going faster, you, you know, I, I mean, the clerks, people don't realize how much power the clerks have, by the way. It's very important to treat the clerk. With the utmost respect, they get to decide what the, what they're gonna show the judge in in essence or bring to the judge's attention you mm-hmm. know the end camera um, then camera reviews and you, you know uh looking for a um a change of venue and whatnot so it's really important to remember anybody that is dealing with any kind of cases I don't care what kind of case it is you make friends. <laughs> or at least treat that clerk with respect, whether you like that clerk or not, um, because they have more power than you can ever imagine. Am I right?
2: Oh, yes, they do. They do. Yep.
1: Um, Okay.
3: Well, I also, you were talking earlier about um, cases and similarities. I know for sure in Mark and Michael's case, because they both did a guilty plea, that neither of them were even, none of the benefits of not pleading guilty was explained to either one of them. Now, I know Mark asked Kin Sue if he could withdraw his guilty plea, and I know Michael uh, wanted to withdraw his plea. And, of course, like uh, Melissa said, Kin Sue just told him to take the time and she'll come back for him. But Michael's lawyer completely just disregarded it. He didn't even respond to it. He didn't help them, but neither of them knew that if they, you know, pled guilty, they lose so many rights to even yeah, try you to just
1: bail. Mm-hmm. And I think that's but really But you can important. go back later, and you can claim the dress and 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 the coercion. Well, now the and how, you
2: and Yeah. How easily different. is that done? <laughs> All right, and I'll give up for that.
1: He was
3: appealing out of time. That's what they keep telling them. You're appealing out of time. There's a time bar, and um, you know how do you get around a time bar with these people? Because they're saying you have at least one year to do that. But if he doesn't find out anything until four years later, that would benefit his case. I mean, how do you tell? And it them should them start the clock to-
1: all over again.
3: It's supposed to start the clock all over again. What's supposed to be is not what's happening, though. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, and I don't understand how you can tell someone
2: no. You can't prove
3: your innocence when you're innocent because of a uh, time bar. You
2: know, so, so is, really, this, And I'm sorry, Bridget. I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. I'm, so this this is a discussion I was having the the other day in a in a public policy class. We were having a discussion about the AEDPA, the Anti-Terrorism Effective Death Penalty Act, that was passed in 1996. And what that was supposed to do, and I bring this up because this is interesting, after the 1993 World Trade Center bombing and after the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, that's when this legislation came into play. And what actually happened is the Republicans that were pushing this legislation, and this is where the time bars come in. So you have a year to, to um, appeal, and, and you have – there are so many bars, because if you have um, – Evidence that could prove your innocence, but that evidence was available at, at at state trial, but you didn't introduce that evidence because you didn't have a, you didn't have counsel that was effective and competent enough to introduce that evidence for you. Now you're barred. Now this I bring up this act because it was Bob Macy who helped push that through. The Republicans called on Bob Macy because he you know because Oklahoma City and the bombing to push that through, and we still have that act. That stands today. And this is why we have to be concerned because we've had exonerations from death row. We know that innocent people have been on death row. But what can this it only, does,
1: I can't help but think who died. Who died.
2: Uh, we, won't, we won't even know that you, it, there were we'll those. Yeah, we'll never know. And we'll, that's now, the number uh, that. Jennifer,
1: before I forget, before I forget, can you share with us, uh, I believe that um, your husband put a couple of books out. Right? So he's mm-hmm. busy. Um, and can you just share with us what those books are? And then also, can you let us know what do you want us out here and our listeners to do to help? Let us know where uh, they can find that petition on behalf of your husband.
0: I'm change She um, got two books out. Um, his first one was not law. And then his second one is love and consequence, and I just want them to go sign his petition. Uh, if we have a rally again, attend. Uh, just support them, all of them. Not just my husband, all of them. But, yeah, and and where can where can people find out petition? Absolutely, support all of them. The, you Fun know because I mean, we're strong. Go ahead. Oh, you can go on their um I got uh justice for Stanley Watson Facebook page it's on there it's on breeze I know uh I think Michelle do you have it? I mean uh, Michelle Melissa
2: I'm sorry Jennifer what
0: was I know his petition is on um breeze for sure it's on my
2: the Just, justice for Stanley Watson Oh yes so we, we need to be sharing. sharing yes we need yeah, to be yeah, sharing we was sharing yes after you know, and after we do the show, I will. I'm going to share everybody's petition so okay. that people can see them on my page. If they, you know, if they want to know more of the stories and what we were talking about tonight, I definitely will share everybody's petition.
0: Thank you all. One neat package. Because I have to
2: go. It was nice talking Thank you. It was. It Thank was good you. to have you back, Jennifer. Thank you. Stay Thank strong. Jennifer. Stay strong. <laughs>
1: Okay. Melissa, wow.
0: can you go back
3: to when you were talking about the time bar thing? Because that's something, because I just realized when, as I was kind of thinking while you guys were talking, the same thing happened to Stanley as well. Once they've tried to file to appeal or help themselves, once they get to 10th Circuit, they are shut down. And it's usually the rejection of the time bar. Not that they filed oh. wrong or they did anything wrong, but if they're just using the excuse that you're appealing out of time.
2: I don't agree with it and I will never understand how they can place any kind of time bar on somebody being able to prove their innocence. It makes no sense and to me. I
1: think that I think what needs to be argued is the intent of that rule. What is the intent of the rule? It's so that frivolous pleadings aren't made. Now, is innocence A frivolous pleading So I think it's important to bring it forward uh, That this is not the intent Of this rule
2: uh, Well maybe this is why We need review units To to review I mean I was talking about the AEDPA I mean uh, that act What was the intent of that act To stop terrorism This act did not do anything To single out any notorious terrorists because guess what happened after five years after that act was was entered as, as legislation, 9-11. So did it deter any mm-hmm. terrorists from terrorist activity? I don't think so. What happened mm-hmm. is one of the, the most vocal opponents of the ADPA was Joe Biden, and he said that this act is not going to single out these notorious terrorists it's going to affect the rights of state prisoners, and he was 100% right. So if we want to try to reform that act, I would say the time is now, because who's our president? And, that, just, and another interesting thing is when I was listening to Julius Jones' stage one commutation hearing, and they had a discussion before, before the um, actual hearings took, took place. Larry Morris, who's a member of the uh, Board of Pardon and Parole, said there should be no time limits on proving one's innocence when, when their life is at stake. So now, you know, we're dealing with death penalty cases in that, in that instance. But that is the key to, to even these time bars because there shouldn't be any time bars when somebody can prove their innocence. That shouldn't be how the system works. That, right, that's not no. the
1: intent, and that can be argued and argued and argued. That's got to be argued,
2: and 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 there are
1: I, I be mean, people have won, be. but once again, I, I you know I believe here I go with the constitutional, uh, you, you know, views. Okay, is you know sometimes I think when we try to uh, fight the court using statutes and rules and this and that and the other thing, you got to go to the Constitution, because that trumps whatever, you know, rules, law, says, whatever, and and that is due process. It's called due process. There's no due process if somebody can prove they're innocent, but somebody's saying, Nah, you missed it by a day. Sorry. Sorry. No. That's where we need to use constitutional law. I am so hung up on that. I'm so hung up on it because they will beat us at their own game because they're constantly uh, making rulings when it happens, not constantly, forgive me, making rulings that they get to recite the bad rulings that get their agenda taken care of. So, you know, they'll be able to one-up us on their rulings and and whoever's uh, cited, you you know, uh, no problem. They'll they'll be able to outdo us. But if we use the Constitution, now, does it mean that they're going to do anything different? I don't know. But at some point, people do win. And I think that using the constitutional process, due process, due process, due process, due process, what is due process? I know what it's not, and it is not denying somebody the right to prove their innocence.
2: Now, and that's what, and what things like the ADPA, that's what's taken away is is due process rights when it comes down to it. So Mm -hmm. what we need to try to do is, reform some of this legislation that we know or this act in this case that we know is not working it's not working it's not serving its intended purpose it didn't deter terrorism Mm -hmm. that was that was its purpose to deter terrorism it didn't do that exactly so i mean you have you know we talk about um sentencing young adults to life without parole the sentencing project had a study that shows that one out of seven sentences are life without parole sentences. We have a number of individuals who are in jail, who have been there since a very young age, who could very well be rehabilitated. They're older now. They age out of crime. We need second look legislation to revisit these types of cases. If we truly want to reduce prison populations. I mean, where I am in the state of Connecticut, we don't have the worst prison population, but everywhere needs reform. There's other states that have like Oklahoma, Oklahoma, that have huge prison populations, and I would be, it would be curious to find out how many people in Oklahoma were serving life without parole sentences. I would, that's a stat I would like to know. Can I say something?
0: Um, now, like today, as is right now, there, um, most of the young guys, with like 16, 17, 18 to type twenty-one. They're getting like twenty to thirty years just because they feel that they that since they can't do the life with you know life without they're giving them thirty years or twenty years at Comanche County now.
3: Mhm. Thank you. So if they're not the problem that we run into here is because we know that we have this sort of a system in Oklahoma, I'm going to kind of generally speak there, and how we do a lot of misconduct, they're no, they don't want to go back and review the cases because mm-hmm. they don't want to have to they're wrong. And I feel like if we're going to talk about rehabilitating, and that's really something the state should look at, it starts with the prison, because you tell us that prison is yeah. a rehabilitation. So I'm trying to figure out why we don't
1: actually rehabilitate them. And the reason but- is because it doesn't make money for the state. That's the reason. There is a book. I'm going to say this again. Look up the book. It's on Amazon, okay? And it's called Correcting Treatments in Corrections. It is by Michael Johnson and Rhonda Champagne. And uh, we've got to get back to working together on uh, there's an educational project that we're putting out, and it's all about in Montana they were asked to work together, now Rhonda Champagne being the therapist, uh, Michael Johnson being, you, you know, a, a high up in the corrections department. So he came from his angle, he came from hers, and the, the book is absolutely amazing. Uh, seriously, this is the Bible to rehabilitation. Long story short, they did so well that in Montana, They went where they they were asked to do this for the state, okay? Okay, you know, federal money. Okay, all right, let's do this rehabilitation project. And so they were just so amazing with this, and they rolled around with plenty of ideas, plenty of time, and he really, like, was so, like, what do you mean we're going to talk about our feelings kind of thing, you know? What do you mean you call them by their real name, all right? But ultimately... Ultimately, it, it was a tremendous, tremendous transition. The, the recidivism rate went from 85% down to 15%. That's how good they did. You know what happened? They were shut down because that's how good they did. Other nonprofits that were, uh, that, uh, that were out there trying to get the business, so to speak, of this problem, you know, uh, suddenly, you know, they weren't um, sending in money for elections and whatnot. It is a travesty that somebody's freedom, somebody's rehabilitation is navigated around money and politics. So if we're all can scratch our heads and wonder why, why don't they rehabilitate? That's why. It's money. And then we still have private prisons, they get fined if they do not. They get fined if they do not uh, keep that capacity to where it needs to be. And then let's talk about that little excess money that's being funneled in there. You know, look, we've been on, uh, you, you know, no visits for how long now, right? Well, how is the contraband getting in there? How is the contraband getting in there? That's another funnel of money. And if you think the warding doesn't know about it and gets a piece, in many instances, you're wrong. They do. It is a racket, and they're holding lives
2: hostage. Rant over. I was going to say, there, there's, there's plenty of research that if you truly want to rehabilitate offenders, that, there, you know, there's – there's ways that have been proven very effective. You had mentioned recidivism rates. There's best practices that are very effective in reducing recidivism rates. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, especially in juveniles, educational programs, job services, mentoring programs, those in combination altogether. If you were to take the money away from corrections and put it into those types of programs, you would mm-hmm. effectively reduce the recidivism rates. But as you said, Corrections and the private prisons is a big business. There's a lot of people who make a lot of money from that. There's a pipeline
1: of money, and I'm and I'm so sick and tired of hearing how dirt poor uh, Oklahoma is. Uh, you know, you know. Let's let's see how dirt poor and why. That's what I want to know why.
3: I do <laughs> want to say as far as rehabilitation, as far as these four gentlemen particularly. I mean, they pretty much self-help themselves to go into a rehabilitation. I know Michael has taken plenty of courses. He's taken college courses. He's had graduations um, while he's been incarcerated. And I know, as Jennifer said, Stanley has taken courses. So, really, it isn't because someone's telling them to do it. They choose to do that. So, to me, that's showing that they want to show that they can be rehabilitated. But they
2: what do you grew just kind up of, behind
3: bars.
1: They grew up. You know, what they were, exactly. They grew up.
3: Well, I
0: just, I'm sorry, I don't, I go ahead.
1: Like, oh,
3: you're fine. I just don't feel like the four of them that I can speak of right now are exactly what the state said they were at the time they convicted. Oh, ab-
1: absolutely. They're not no. in need of rehabilitation. That's what you're saying, right? They're not those that's monsters that's that they were made out to be, because right. I guess we're talking about another another population other than the innocent men, you know, that grew up in prison. Well,
2: the, these are all intelligent very well-spoken, uh, I was going to say young men, but yeah. they're not young men anymore. And they're, they're all very intelligent, very well-spoken. Um, again, I'm, I'll bring up Julius Jones real quick, because he's on death row. There is no rehabilitation available to Julius Jones, but I can have a conversation with Julius Jones that will top any conversation that I can have with most people in the, in the graduate program that I'm in. He's educated himself. He's done that over the 21 years that he's been in there because they don't offer any rehabilitation. I don't even know that they offer much rehabilitation to people who are sentenced to life without parole. These men have to take the initiative to educate themselves. And if they have done that, and they have, then how can you say that they're not – they haven't even, even in the situations that they're in, I can't imagine what it's like to be in jail for that long knowing that you did not commit that crime. But yet you are still educating yourself. You are still making yourself to where you can be a productive member of society if hopefully they let you out of there because you are innocent. So mm-hmm. that right there it speaks volumes to me.
3: Right. And Julius was already on that path of being a productive person. I know this isn't about him, but oh, yeah. he was already in college, he was already doing the thing.
0: So, I mean, he was innocent.
1: He had athletic endeavors, and and some of these guys, too, had scholarships, right? I know Mark was going to
3: um, enlist in the military before his situation happened. Michael hadn't graduated from high school yet at that point, so they didn't even get a chance to show what kind of productive citizens they could be because you took their lives at such a young age and locked them up. And, I mean... And then you'd absolutely- so let me
0: ask you absolutely overall, what
1: kind were they troublemakers uh, prior to these wrongful uh, convictions or wrongful sentences? You know, for uh, when it comes to Mark, more-
3: when you grow up in a small town like Lawton with there's nothing to do. They I'm not gonna say they were troublemakers. I'm gonna say they were average kids in a place and you give people an idle playground and what's bound to happen is bound to happen. When you have nothing to entertain kids, the mall closes by six. You just you you they basically handpick and mold people to do things that are not right so that they can keep their System going the way they want to is how I feel about it. I don't. from am not from Martin, so I just know that that's not a place I would ever want my children to grow up in. So overall, I just feel like it's kind of a either you breeding ground
1: family. for putting people in life in prison for life, whether they deserve it or not.
3: I, right, and I, that's exactly how I feel about it, but. I'm just saying, I mean, I know Michael grew up, and he was the oldest, and he was always kind of the mentor leader for his family, so him being gone has really affected his siblings because of the fact that he was who they looked up to, so, I mean, that's a really hard thing to deal with. Again, Michael was very, very supportive of his siblings, and they have all gone to high school and graduated. He encourages them to go to college to make something out of themselves because those opportunities were taken from him. So, you know, he just wants the best for the rest of his family. I mean, that's really hard. It's really hard on his mom. But she feels like, you know, she was coerced herself into talking her son into taking a plea that whatever his lawyer asked him to do, but now she didn't realize that she herself was being tricked and keeping her son in a place where he could never get a chance
1: to come home. Yeah, they put undue duress on her. I mean, once again, I know that they can do certain things. They can lie to you. I know that it can lie to you, all right, to try to get you to <laughs> confess. They can say, oh, well, so-and-so has it said that he, uh, he saw you doing this or that. I know that they can do that to a certain degree. But what? can they Thanks. threaten you? What?
3: But I do wanna say none of these guys had criminal background in history. Like none of them had like all these cases prior to when they all got in trouble. Now, I know that in some cases they put out a charge on you to show that you had a prior charge so that they can make you kinda look like you had some sort of history.
1: Right. But
3: at this time, as far as just saying, were they troublemakers? Were they the kids running around terrorizing the town? They weren't like that. They all come from a
1: very good family background. Right. They'll, they'll create a narrative. Absolutely.
3: I mean, each one wow. of them were framed for a crime that they didn't commit.
1: Do any of these men know each other? Uh, um, yes. Right. They know each
3: other, yeah? They do. They do. They're all from the same
1: town. But did they know each other before because uh, they were connected through the Lawton 4? They have
3: all known each other, yes.
1: Um, they okay. may not
3: have all been in the same age bracket, but, it, it, again, Lawton 4, everybody hear you. Mhm everybody pretty much
1: knows each other, okay, so all right all right so um Michael was seventeen Michael was eighteen he had just turned eighteen months prior
3: to okay. before he was convicted or pled guilty to the crime
1: right okay. okay, um, and Stanley was seventeen. Mark West was eighteen. Eighteen. Jorge.
3: He was twenty, right, Melissa?
2: Yes, I believe Jorge was was twenty years old. Yes, I think he was the oldest. But at at the old age of twenty, but yeah. (laughs) The old age
1: of twenty, right? (laughs) It's funny, I think about it, like, when I was 20, I looked at my mom, you know, and I and I just, I looked at her very differently, you know. Obviously, we look at our parents and say, oh, my goodness, you know, um, if we're fortunate enough to have our parents uh, with us still. It's like, everybody's old when you're 20. Because <laughs> 20 is so young. Because 20 is so young. I mean, they really had a whole life
2: ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and in, 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 Jorge, in Jorge's case, there were, there were other people in, involved that should, have, that should have at least got some time. The, the person who owned the gun that, again, I mentioned that before, but the person who owned the gun that actually was used to commit the murder walked away for his testimony. Um, I believe the man who was actually driving the car, who was one of the three that was actually involved in the robbery, um, I, I believe um, he didn't get much, much time, if, if any, And um, like I had mentioned before, until this testimony came into play, um, they were trying to. They had a whole other charge against Jorge, but uh, uh, conspiracy to commit robbery with a dangerous weapon, I believe it was, and that Mm -hmm. that's interesting too because in in talking to Jorge, that charge was never resolved, and they denied making that offer, um, but it was there. And then after they got testimony of, of these uh, witnesses that they used other cases that they had hanging over them, at least the guy that owned the mm-hmm. gun, then, again, it turned into a first-degree murder charge. So they used the testimony of the other people that were involved to point the finger at, at somebody else, and it doesn't even have to be the person who masterminded it. They tried to make Jorge out to be the mastermind of this robbery. He worked at the u the, the robbery occurred at a U-Haul facility. Jorge worked there. They, they were, um, the, these people that committed the robbery went into the U-Haul facility while Jorge was outside um, locking up the storage unit. This robbery took place. Um, Jorge came back in, into the, to the store part where the robbery had taken place. A fellow employee had been shot. There was a customer who had been assaulted. And he was there. The, the people who actually committed the robbery left the scene. Um, now, did they did to, Jorge
1: know these, uh, the, uh, those that committed the
2: robbery? Yes, he knew them. But what he didn't do was um, commit that robbery. <laughs> they tried to say right. that, um, you know, he, was, he had masterminded it. He was going to leave the keys on top of the safe so they can get in the safe. Nothing was taken from the safe. The keys weren't there. Jorge had the keys. There was um, Jorge worked there. There was cash that was always kept under that keyboard. That cash was still there. If he was, if he had arranged this robbery and masterminded the whole robbery, then why would those things all still be intact? Why weren't the keys on the safe? were So, uh, and and he. I'm sorry, I Someone
3: was speaking. Yeah. I'm sorry. Remember, they closed early that night. So why would he orchestrate a crime to continue to happen? Remember, he said that it was raining really bad, and so they closed uh-huh. early that night. So, But these people came well before they knew they were closing early.
2: Yeah, so they came in. And, let, let's, and so I guess there was some discussion at a party, and it was said that it would be an easy place to rob. So because he worked there and they tried to make him like he was the mastermind of the robbery, but the robbery was actually planned in, at the house of the person who gun was used to commit the robbery and the murder, but that person didn't receive any jail time. That's the person who had a statutory rape charge um, pending, and so they threatened him with, with that case, and he testified against Jorge, and even though the gun belonged to him, even though that whole robbery was planned inside his house, again, and another commonality in these cases, the the, the one who actually played the most part even though they did, it doesn't matter because if you get a few people to point the finger at one person, that makes them happy. They charge somebody with first-degree murder. He gets life in prison, and everything is, all, is good according, according to them, and this is what happens in these cases. So I'd like to share that... another common
1: ground with these cases. You will mm-hmm. not be able to go on to – okay, so in Oklahoma, you can actually, when um, it's okay uh, with – you know them for you to see it you can go on to if you google oscn oklahoma case search okay so this happens in this the um the law is all comanche county all right so if you google oscn oklahoma case search you can go and and then you want to drop down and you go to comanche county you can go on each one of these gentlemen's uh, cases, and you will see nothing that you can open up. Nothing. Uh, and even if, it's like, okay, so it, it actually says in Jorge Bravo's case, even though it is written um, within the docket, but you cannot open up any document, okay? This is really important for you guys to know, all right? You can't open up any documents. But, you know, it shows judge unassigned. Well, how does a case that has been, that is considered closed, okay, in the state of Oklahoma, how does a case show up when you do a search as judge unassigned after somebody has been Jorge Bravo? How long has he been behind bars? So and my point is, my point is that, um I've seen this over and over and over again, where it makes it hard for you to actually do a search on a judge, on a certain attorney, in in some cases, in uh, public defenders and whatnot. They don't want to be named, their names get removed at times, from the docket, okay, because they don't want you to easily be able to search them and put one-on-one together, I've done this in many instances. I've, uh, you know, scoured through many different cases, dug deep. That's very typical. You know what else is very typical? A um, a misspelling. They I was just going to say
2: that even in this, uh-huh. even in my state, I've caught cases out where because I work I work for Epic, so every now and then I have to. Look up a case that might have turned into a criminal case by someone violating the code of ethics, and Uh sometimes they they will misspell names if it's names of people they want they don't want really to be seen by the public. So I've caught a couple of instances where Jorge
1: Bravo just fine, but yet they can't mm -hmm. spell like for instance uh, uh, Judge Miller.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it, there's it, little tricks that they use to to, to thwart that transparency. I mean, you you have DAs who won't even produce the files to defense counsel. So how how are you going to expect transparency to the public if you're not even right. affording the, count, the 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 opposing counsel the right to inspect those files, which they have the right to do? And we know that there's you two have, cases. You have public defenders that, have,
1: that won't even that won't even
2: release the files. All yeah, right. or or or, this, or like Bridget and Mike's case, the the file was destroyed. Destroyed <laughs> exactly.
1: And then you have so, transcripts. so they say, right, right. That's a good point. Uh, and then you have transcripts that uh, are very different than a recording that you might have taken, uh, where the message is very different. So you, you, you know, um, yeah. When it's, when, uh, how, when there's a will, there's a
2: way. When you're corrupt. Absolutely. And then even, in an, even in another county, Oklahoma County, how do you have people like mm-hmm. Julius Jones and Richard Glossop still fighting to get the contents right. of the files? They were both in front of the Hanging Judge
1: Henderson, correct? The Hanging Judge Henderson, who is now being investigated for sexual um, misconduct, who should have been investigated many, many years ago anyway.
2: I know we talked about, you know, legislation that was introduced, but, um, and I, it's, apparently it's not making it anywhere this session in Oklahoma, but th- there was legislation at in death penalty cases to, to have these files kept for as long as these cases were active, and these cases considered active as long as that person is still there in, in, in the custody of the DOC. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: you to even have to have mm-hmm. that type of legislation. But and, – and to have legislation where the DA is required to produce the, these documents, to produce the whole file, I mean, that, that's part yeah, of I mean, you shouldn't have those... to
1: pay out the gazoo to defend
2: yourself. Either. I
1: mean, you mm-hmm. shouldn't be denied your files,
0: but also
1: – I know. How, no, how much do these transcribers charge?
2: Oh, transcripts? Yeah, those, those are expensive, very expensive. And you should be able to ask for
1: a copy of the recording.
2: But they won't give it to you. So you can go in there. These that justice is served and everybody had their day in court. And it it is so far from the truth in so many of these cases. And the only thing I wish is that people will, will just see below the surface. I mean, you can listen to you know, what DAs and attorney generals say. And, of course, they're going to take the position that, oh, you know, everybody has justice in our state. But that is not true. That is not true. Everybody's day in court it's can differ so far. Rates. It's no, not just sour grapes.
1: It's, it's not like, oh, got a raw deal and you just can't handle it. No. We're talking about people's lives. And we're not even talking about the prison condition, okay? We're not mm-hmm. even talking about... The unconstitutional, and inmates do have rights, okay? They do have constitutional rights. They're not quite the same as what we get on the outside. And what a shame when you're innocent that your constitutional rights are taken away from you. How nuts is that, or a certain one? but so you do have constitutional rights, um, you, you know, to be within humane circumstances, which basically, I, I guess, is, is very... Um, uh, now that 's up to uh a lot of that is discretion, but i mean you shouldn't be sleeping on a um you know a, a mattress that 's ice you shouldn't be uh right now you, you sh- your vent your your uh heat and and air conditioning if you 're lucky enough to have it um it shouldn't have uh awful you know mold spores and more uh that's you know ventilating that's going throughout. Uh, the space and, uh, you know, just like silly little things like that, like you should be able to um, put forth a, con- a, a complaint and not be retali- retaliated against uh, uh, for that. So that we're not even talking about that. We're not even ta- touching the surface with that. We're just talking about four men have a whole lot in common, that these are four different uh, situations where there were crimes, but not their crimes. In Comanche County, Oklahoma. And I, I and know call that. Call I mean,
2: two. go ahead. No, I was just going to say um, something really quick. We there's victims in all of these cases, and I certainly don't. And not, none of the people that I know who advocate for any of these individuals want to take any anything away from the victims. But it's not. justice when somebody's wrongfully convicted it's not justice when they when the the person who didn't mastermind the whole crime is the one who gets the most time it's not justice when somebody sits on death row innocent for for 21 years like julius jones that's not justice wrongful convictions are not justice it's an injustice to to the person who's wrongfully convicted and the family of the victim because the right the, the person who should have paid for the crime doesn't and that's not justice for anybody so I just wanted to make that clear we I'm not trying I never try to take anything away from the victims I know there's victims and families of those victims but I just wish people would see it from that point of view that it you know you can't just look at this from a from a vengeance point of view you have to look at it from a justice point of view and Absolutely. look at you know look at the facts and look at the evidence in these cases and and think to I mean if it was my family member I wouldn't want somebody Wrongfully convicted just to say somebody's paying for the crime. I want the person who did it to pay for the crime. Mm-hmm. But
3: mm-hmm. They don't really care about that. Not at least not like I personally. feel Like some sort of investigation needs to be happening. Not, and there there needs to be something investigated or looked into. And because of the fact that just these four guys are coming forward, I know there's. No, other people who yeah, are all was... in that same boat, yeah, they're just afraid to say anything because they're such a tight-knit community. So, I mean, like I said, you can call and ask a lawyer for help, but once they realize who was on that person's case, they all say it's a conflict. And that, I mean, that's anything. I mean, you literally cannot get a lawyer in Lawton to go against another lawyer. There's no whistleblower in that group of people that says mm-hmm. things
2: wrong, um, we need to do something. I agree with you. I think there needs to be, I, I think there de- it definitely needs to, to be investigated what goes on there because we, I mean, we can't, we got to assume that there's many more cases than, than these four gentlemen that oh, are, have all these similarities. I, I wouldn't even begin to guess how many there could be, but I know there's more.
1: Well, exactly. you know what I, 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 I feel, and, I, you know, I'm thinking out loud here now, okay? This is a think tank, and, you know, listeners, chime in. I'm I Also, I'm going to open up the line. Um, mm-hmm. Marty, uh, hopefully you're there. Uh, let's open up the line. Yes. Anybody who wants to call in. Hi, Marty. 917 917-388. Hey. 917-388-4520. If you want to give a comment, I thought. Let's talk about this together. Um, but, you know, the one and four is, uh, you know, a perfect example, a absolutely perfect example because it, it, I mean, it just so happens that um, sometimes people do malfeasant and things. They're stupid, okay. But how stupid are they if they're still getting away with it? So we kind of need to make sure that. Uh, we get this word out that we get other people to speak up on their behalves. And and Melissa is going to share a whole bunch of information, and I will share it on on Injustice in Oklahoma Exposed once she shares that, okay? And I'll also share some of these podcasts. But let's call in 917-388-4520 if you have a question or a comment. Press one when the system picks up. Let's see if anybody is uh, interested in, in, in calling in and talking about this. But uh, in the meantime, uh, I mean, I believe that it's important that we get this in writing and we ask this to be investigated. That's what I think we need to do. If we need to ask the prosecutor to investigate it. Prosecutor's going to go, oh, hum, ho, oh, hum, ho, oh, hum, and say whatever. And then it goes to, in you know. Uh, the Attorney General's Office asked Kim to investigate it. Well, I have a pretty good idea if history repeats itself what that's going to do. But the point is you've got to go through the hierarchy, okay? You can't just start at a certain spot. You have to go through the process, due process, even though we're not allowed it so often, okay? But we need to still follow the hierarchy and point this out so that it's so glaringly relevant that um, somebody does something about this. So by uh, uh, by signing these petitions, by, uh, you know, us putting forth that uh, in writing, in writing, where these people are all involved to very similar degrees, denying constitutional rights, due process, due process, due process, due process, coercion, undue duress. Young, un, not yet developed mind. You know, you would think, you would think that these young men, that they, or the the men that were young, and now they are living in prison. And they're, you know, they're now mature men, mentoring others, helping others. Like Daryl Wiggins, I'm doing the show uh, with Daryl Wiggins, or not with Daryl Wiggins, but, again, on behalf of Gerald Wiggins, this Tuesday, so please tune in. That will be 7.30 p.m. Central Time. He is up in front of the Partner and Parole Board once again for the seventh time. Okay, perfect example of second chances. Okay, um, and, again, overcharged, nothing to do. He was charged with something that he had nothing to do with, but again, very similar case, but just not in Comanche County. I a mean, cookie cutter, cookie cutter, in essence, to what these matters are about. Uh, then we've got a young man uh, by the name of Keith Brown. He uh, was put in as a very young man in prison, and his videos, I've watched his videos that his brother put together. They've done it legally, legitimately, nothing behind the scenes. Nobody wants to get into any trouble. Uh, They want to get out. He wants to get out. But he speaks more for others that were behind bars at a very young age. And, you know, what it means for a second chance for a young person that was, you know, uh, put behind bars, treated like they had a formed mind as an adult, didn't kill anybody, okay? Nobody here is justifying any kind of or saying, oh, you got to let this person free, that person free. You know, these egregious crimes. This is not what any of these cases are about. Nobody here is saying open up the doors and, hey, let's see what happens. Am I correct? You're right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. But we, uh, but, um, so Keith Brown, Darrell Wiggins, let's talk about the law enforcement. If anybody wants to call, once again, the number is 917-388-4520. Press 1 if you have a question or a comment. So what do you think uh, about combining these four cases to be brought forward as a petition or as a request for investigation? I think it would have to be a hmm, – once again, I'm thinking out loud.
3: Oh, I'm so sorry. You keep cutting out. But you said, what do
1: I feel about bringing these four cases together to do what now? And to investigate the Kenzie Dorsey involvement, that. to investigate, just, the just, to undue duress, the coercion.
3: I absolutely think that would be a good idea. I mean, again, um, I do feel like just from what I've learned about the four cases that, Each one of them deserves a second opportunity to present their innocence before a court or whoever because they didn't get that opportunity. And, again, for sure, in Michael's case, Michael wanted to go to court and actually go before a jury, and his lawyer told him no, that he absolutely could not. If he went before a jury, then he was definitely getting the death penalty. And you know, like most of the status, but you throw the death penalty around I mean, just like it's nothing to intimidate these guys. And he,
1: and his lawyer used that in a manner that an investigator can. Um, you know, you don't always have to be honest. You can you can scare them to death to a certain degree, but you cannot uh browbeat them and waterboard them e- either. Um, but um but His own lawyer, his own lawyer fear-mongered him. Absolutely. He
3: told him that that, he'd do what he asked, that he was going to get the death penalty. And, again, like I said, he brought a death row inmate into this little basement area in the police department where I guess they take them to interrogate them, I don't know, and brought this guy in and have this guy talk to him, you know, to intimidate his client, Um, Mm -hmm. I guess. They intimidated the mother, but even when that still didn't work, they put a false offer on the table of 20 years. All you need to do is just say you're pleading guilty to robbery. That's what Michael pled guilty to was
1: to robbery, and then they just added the whole murder to it. So he never robbed. He never robbed, but he was, he he was put under undue, right? Uh, right? So just to save his own life.
0: He they
1: guilty told to robbery.
3: for a robbery just like your co-defendant
0: code just
3: all you have to do is don't worry about going to trial just say you're guilty of the robbery because that's what we're talking about never ever mentioning that you're going we're gonna charge you with the murder so of course when he pled guilty to robbery which he didn't want to but he had no choice to because he was told he was gonna die if he didn't yeah. after he pled guilty to robbery that's when they threw the rest of it in there, that we're going to charge you with the murder because the murder took place mm-hmm. during a robbery. He didn't understand that. His lawyer didn't explain that to him.
1: He and and didn't the mom supposed to think think square when she just hears her, her son could go to death row. Right, okay. and she didn't understand the process of death
3: row either. So, you know, it's just, it's really it's really unfortunate that these kind of things happen, and, of course, Michael's lawyer told him, you just look at me and agree to what I'm telling you when the judge is asking you questions, So, you know? It's obvious they just throw a 20-year deal on the table as a false thing that they do, but they don't really want to give you the 20 years. But I know they did that, I think most said to Jorge, they gave him a 20-year deal, but yet he's still sitting here well over
2: 18 years. I was just going to bring that up because that's a very big, that's a that's a similarity in Michael and Jorge's case right there with that twenty-year like a- sentence and then with the tw- the twenty-year sentence in both of their cases and then all of a sudden they're they're both in there, Jorge with life and Michael life without parole.
0: Mhm.
3: And then Michael had I mean, his, his the witnesses were people that already had prior cases, like, you're looking at people that actually also played a part in putting this together were Mm -hmm. people that were able to be used as witnesses in Michael's case, because the gentleman and his girlfriend that did it had just robbed GameStop, and they were being investigated, and they told him, if you guys can give us a statement against these gentlemen, then, you know, we'll make this whole robbery thing for you guys stealing from GameStop go away isn't okay because those are false statements that they gave about someone that they didn't even have any interaction with. But it fits the story that Kim Sue and Emmett Taylor have put together for their clients, which isn't okay because of the fact that, again, those are false statements, and so you, once again, have incriminated
1: someone for something they didn't do. And well, I, I think it's time to also um, uh, create a petition that involves all four of these men together as well as go forward with a request for um, an independent review or an investigation where we put all this, these common ground, these patterns, these uh, coercion, this duress, um, these lies, um, where we, uh, you know, bring that forward just like that. You know, I, right. I think that, go ahead.
3: No, I said I agree, and I feel like if anyone listening still has, you know, loved ones involved in Lawton and these things have happened, that they also need to come forward. I mean, this is something that I just feel needs to be investigated and listened to and some kind of change, because I know for sure if any of the four, of the Lawton four, were to ever file for a commutation, go up for parole and have Judge McCall on that partner and Parole Board, they're not going to get a, any – he's not going to even look at those cases – period he's just going to say no automatically he's made that known and that's not fair to
1: any of them and judge mccall for the listeners here he um he oversaw he was the judge on some of these cases who is um he's fairly notorious himself who is on the pardon and parole board uh believe he has been publicly asked to step down a number of times uh and uh, he refuses to and he is believed to be um Against Oklahoma policy uh, because he was a judge getting his pension allegedly. Uh, you're not supposed to be doing that while you're still still working for the state. So allegedly, still getting his pension on um, the pardon and parole board, who has uh, publicly is believed to have publicly stated that he will not say yes to anybody who has been. Um, sentenced for a, uh, a a violent crime now we uh, uh, now let's keep in mind he was a judge in some of these cases. Do we have
2: any conflicts here? I would think that's a huge conflict, but it, i mean it, let's mention the fact that Judge McCall had threatened members of the board of pardon and parole. You, that, that's, that's just a step further.
1: Oh, yeah. That was, what, about six months <laughs> ago? Yes.
2: He's <laughs> not taking a wound. As someone who works for the Office of State Ethics in this state, but all of that made me cringe because I don't see any of that happening and um, anybody getting away with it in, in my state. I would hope not. But mm-hmm. I, I it just—it just floored me that this man still sits on the board of pardon and parole after all that scandal and the threatening, and and it, and it, and it just seems to me, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to show your criminal activity if you if you go ahead and you agree to have death row inmates file, be able to file commutations. It, it was just ridiculous, and this man still sits there. Mhm. And he still. And like you there. said, cl- sitting on the board and collecting a pension uh-huh we we have i mean you
1: know so they find ways to find innocent men guilty when we have got blatant abuse of uh, you know uh, of power by the decision makers of your freedom mm-hmm. uh you know where's that supposed to go And, and, you you know, maybe, just maybe, you know, do everything that needs to be done uh, for this case, going up through the hierarchy, and then ask for a change of venue. Mm You
2: know? And when you're up for parole or you're up for commutation, you shouldn't go in front of this board with already knowing that there's one strike against you. Right, right. But that's that's how it is. conflict
1: of interest because they shouldn't – then they should not – it's either one way or the other. It's like you can't be a little bit pregnant. Either they allow you, as you know, somebody who's been sentenced, to go up in front of the pardon and parole board, whether it is for nonviolent or violent. Otherwise, they should not allow it for the violent yes. offenders. If there is one person, and don't get me wrong, it shouldn't happen that way. Okay, that one person needs to go away. If there's one mm-hmm. person on there. That 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 says no. I'm not saying yes. Anybody who's a violent offender that he likely uh, put behind bars. Uh, then then uh, that's a conflict of interest. That's a quarter of. Uh, the freedom. Yep. If
2: you threaten somebody on that board because th- you didn't want them to agree to hear the commutation applications from death row inmates, and now. Here comes Julius Jones with his commutation, and that person is sitting on that board. What would in, in this earth make you think he was going to say yes? And, of course, he said no. He was the only one that said no in Julius' is stage one commutation hearing. Adam mm-hmm. Luck, Kelly Doyle, and Larry Morris all said yes. And, of course, um, Judge McCall was a no, ma'am, because that's what he said throughout the whole process of 213 cases. I, I should have counted how many he actually said yes to, and I probably could have did it on one hand. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: Well, Adam Luck has just been named. Uh, let me see. Was voted in as I think uh, the board a board member, the director. Yes. Or, yep. Yeah. And that's really good news. I, I that was a couple of weeks ago, and so we know Kelly Doyle is um, uh, is somebody that we uh, believe we can trust and to and to look at things. Um, you know, there, is willing to open up a jacket. Hopefully, you know that's just it. We've got you know a a. There's people every day that are human beings mm-hmm. that are faced with waking up knowing that they're innocent, knowing that their loved ones have broken hearts, and they're fighting for their freedom. The loved ones are fighting for the freedom. And every three years you have to wonder if anybody's even going to open up the folder letting you free when you're actually a hostage. <laughs> Un- and
2: it's inc- freaking unfathomable. Like I said before, I can't even imagine sitting in, in prison for decades knowing that you didn't commit a crime, but you've been there for 20 years and over and still have the, the faith and, and the motivation to, to just keep fighting. To, to get yourself out of there. It, that, that's a certain mm-hmm. kind of resilience that I don't know many people have.
1: Right, and you can't judge somebody who breaks
0: because
2: this no, is what no, they count at on. not all. This is what they count on. They want you to break.
0: They I just think about you break. Like
2: the conversations that I have with, with people, with, the conversations that I have with Julius Jones, who is, is sitting there for 21 years knowing that he didn't do this, knowing that he had a very bright future, a full academic scholarship, an athlete, a wonderful family, great friends around him, and he's been sitting in a cell the size of a a parking space for 21 years, but one of the most intelligent, compassionate, just kind-hearted people that you could ever speak with. And I want people to drop this perception that anybody who sits in prison for life or who sits on death row deserves to be there because that is not the case. We have plenty of evidence and plenty of facts that show in cases, not just in Julius' case, but in many other cases of all the people that have been exonerated, which is over 2,700 since the National Registry of Exoneration started recording exonerations. And those, those are only the people who have been able to prove their actual innocence because that's what you have to do to be exonerated. We don't know how many people sit in prison that have been wrongfully convicted. And it shouldn't be considered by this system that sucks these people in any room for error. Because when somebody's wrongfully convicted and they're, and they're put on death row or their life without parole or even life with parole, that's taken their life too. And it, it, just, it, it just floors me that people don't see that this happens. People mm-hmm. will take the word of Mike Hunter or, or David Crater. And, and say that, you know, oh, it was justice. Oh, there, there's so much that points to his guilt. You have to look below the surface. You have to. We know that these things happen, and they happen all over the country. Look what happened to the Central Park Five. Those were all mm-hmm. young, young kids that were wrongfully convicted in, in New York, and I, I think a lot of people know that story, and it happens. It happens a lot to young people because, again, that thing, that cognitive ability they don't have the ability. They don't know the law. They don't know their rights, and they don't even have the ability to think like adults. And so, when you when you say somebody under the age of twenty five doesn't have the culpability, as even if they commit a crime, the ones who didn't commit a crime don't have that ability to fight for their rights that they don't that they don't even are not even educated on, and they, you shouldn't expect them to be at those young ages.
0: Uh huh.
2: And those are the things that people need to see that this system does to people. It's not just cut and dry. I mean, yes, we have to think about the victims, but you can't seek justice through vengeance. You can't seek justice from, from people who, if you look below the surface, you would see that there is many questions and, and in, in a lot of cases, clear evidence that they are not the ones who did this. Ah) oh. <sighs> That's, yeah, it's exhausting, isn't it? It really is. It really is because there's so many cases. There's so many people who need help. There's so many people that, you know, reach out to anybody they can that can, that can just try to help them because they're sitting in there and they, and they know they've, they've either, they're either innocent or they've been excessively, like really excessively sentenced. Overly excessively sentenced. Like it, the, yes. uh, the
1: punishment does not fit the crime.
2: No, wow. and, I mean, there's people, you know, who have been convicted under, under three strikes mandatory sentencing that shouldn't be sitting in there for as many years as they have been it's just so there's there's so much of it there's so much injustice and and it happens in excessive sentencing it happens to young offenders it happens to people who are wrongfully convicted
1: And and it happens to those that you know, didn't make a mistake. I mean, listen, I, I've heard of uh, situa- cases where, uh, you know, in, in Oklahoma and I'm sure uh, elsewhere, where you're behind bars for, for 20 years, we're having uh, stuff a stuffed bogey. Okay, seriously, no kidding. But if you were the prosecutor and you got stopped with it, you, you know, all of a sudden, it's not in the headlines anymore. It's like, shush, shush. Um, you, you know, we've okay. got, I also know somebody who stole a vehicle, 20 years. No, is that a nice thing to do to steal a vehicle? No, not at all. You know, you gotta you gotta pay your price. You gotta learn your lesson. Is 20 years going to do that? Is 20 freaking years going to do that as a first-time offender? This no, a the, pipeline.
2: The, Go ahead. I mean, the, the pipelines. <laughs> Even, even in instances where crimes are committed, this pipeline starts like in schools. Like they would rather put police officers in schools than programs that are actually going to help these kids stay out of the system and deter from delinquency.
1: Mm-hmm. The system right now is set up for failure, and it's not by accident. I'm Absolutely. sorry to say that. Yeah, we have
3: a few minutes left, but can I just? please ask everyone to follow on Facebook, Free the Lawton 4, because I do plan to put some sort of petition together to um, ask for an investigation for these guys and anyone else in Lawton that has anything similar to this, um, to follow my page, Free Mike Games because I'll have all the petitions. I always tag Melissa in the, mm-hmm. the face they yep. our friends, Melissa, they'll know. Michael also has a website, which is www.justiceformichael.org. Um, I'll also update things from there about opening an investigation for these guys. Every one of his socials. work are on that. Yeah, related. I think it's important to
1: work on that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, and I will, share all those, I will share everybody's individual petitions as soon as and we're and done with the show. So I
1: can share it on Injustice in Oklahoma. I'll Exposed tag you. as well. Okay, so uh, the more places that this is made available for anybody who's listening uh, and and didn't catch this or want to share this, please know that in a few hours or at least by tomorrow, that what you're listening to right now will serve and how you're listening, if it is by the live
0: streaming
1: uh, on Mario FACS Radio Network, um, that this will be the archive to the show as well.
2: Um, I know there well, may be a lot time, of people yeah. who There yeah. may be people who are listening Thinking about, you know, like what can I do what, what can I do to help And, you know, maybe in a future show We can address some of those things I know we have before But, you know, maybe, yeah. we, can, we, maybe we can tell people Like what can you really do to help What's effective What, what would be effective uh, to uncover some of this injustice
1: Yeah, and we'll, we can cover that some more too um, and, yeah. I, and I will bring this up as well on Tuesday show. You're, you're welcome to show up on that show as well, um, because we do have a, a, a representative who uh, claims to be interested in this, and I want to believe, him. again, we need to have allies. I want to thank you, Melissa. Absolutely. Hurry, uh, for coming on. Again, uh, we're not done yet, folks. I want to thank you, Bridget, for coming on. And, and uh, Jennifer Watson, I know you're off, but you're in our hearts. Um, Tune in on Tuesday at 7.30 Central Time, and we're going to talk about Daryl Wiggins and his freedom The fight for justice against corruption is never easy. It never has been, and it never will be. It exacts a toll on ourselves, our families, our friends, and especially our children. In the end, I believe, as in my case, the price we pay is well worth holding on to our dignity. Frank Serpico. Thank you for tuning in. Um, Thank you, Stephen Burke, 89.9, KLRB, Lighthouse Christian Radio. Uh, Peace out. God bless. And good night. Good night. Good night. I'm Tony Hathaway.